When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another episode here of Jaybird Watching. Craig Borden here as your host this week, and Brandon Panikar, my friend. What is up, and how's things going? Yeah, pretty good, man. It's, uh, now that school started, I know I work full-time, but it still feels like the start of a new school year. So a little bit depressing, Craig, because baseball's winding down, but at the same time, I know in two days, I guess 48 hours, you're getting ready for NFL kickoff, so it can't be all that bad, right? Yeah, um, we're getting so close to NFL kickoff that I'm double-dipping tonight, Brendan, and I'm going to be doing my fantasy football draft at the end of our show here, probably first three, four picks. <laughs> yeah, you got to announce your first few rounds, as long as they're still recording, to the audience. So that I guess they I'll give that as a wrap right before we do the pick-the-clicks or right after. <laughs> Done. That's, uh, that's a very good agenda. <laughs> so, anyways... Um, what a weird week in Blue Jays news, Brendan, as we are in the ballpark here of where we're getting to the September call-ups. We have rookies in the ball, more rookies, a plentiful coming to this team. And then we have probably the biggest thing that's happened in Blue Jays history of late. We have been no hit by Justin Verlander a second time, Brendan. And this is just pure domination too. Yeah. He's, he's unreal, man. I remember when he was maybe his last year as a tiger or two years, uh, or two years before he was at the end of his Tigers career. Looked like he was toast, but man, have the Astros ever revitalized his career? He honestly is probably one of the best pitchers I've ever seen live. I saw his no hit, his first no-hitter in 2011 when he was at the Tigers. Uh, and hey, man, a lot of people were getting upset. It's like, oh, this again? But at the same time, it's just like, how can you be upset? This guy is so damn dominant. He is absolutely fantastic to watch out on the mound, so I'm happy for him. It was uh, very nice to see. I think it's rather fitting that the only base runner during the whole game was the guy probably with one of the best eyes in our whole lineup, and that is Kevin Biggio had a, I think it was a full count walk. You are correct, and it's funny because J.P. Aaron Sebia, who had one of the worst eyes at the plate, had the walk against Justin Verlander's first no-header against Toronto in 2011, which broke up the perfect game. <laughs> Uh, take that one, uh, Blue Jays fans. Brendan Panikar with a mega tidbit. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, I, I think some may remember that, but for those who don't, there you go. J.P. Arancibia, one of the worst eyes I've ever seen to play. And then Kevin Biggio on Sunday, one of the best eyes we've seen in a while to play. So the fact that he just mows through what has been a, I will say, slumping offense over the last few weeks, Brennan, but this has been a very resurgent Toronto Blue Jays offense. The fact that somebody like Justin Verlander once again comes into the Rogers Center, makes it his own for his 17th win, only allows the one base runner, and spells out 14 strikeouts, man. I don't know any other way of saying this, but it was clearly not the offensive day uh, for the Blue Jays. No, and when a pitcher of Justin Verlander's caliber is on like he was on, you're going to get no hit, especially with a young and inexperienced lineup. So you can't be too upset 
with the Blue Jays on Sunday against the Houston Astros. It was uh, it was a, an incredible pitching performance. You got to tip your cap sometimes. Good pitching can always shut down good offenses, but at the same time, when this Blue Jays team gets better, they're going to be pretty damn hard to no hit in the future. I did make the joke on Twitter, though, to the contrary of that. If the, I said if Justin Verlander is ever going to break Nolan Ryan's record, apparently he needs to start every game of his rest of his career in the Rogers Center, and then he will just have no problem blowing away that. There's enough times. <laughs> He's already done it twice against the Blue Jays, and I don't think Nolan Ryan double-dipped against any team for his seven no-hitters. I'd have to double-check that fact, but I'm pretty sure. And I just think the thing that's more impressive of the Nolan Ryan thing is he no-hit the 1993 Toronto Blue Jays for his seventh no-hitter. That is game ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, it's tr- it sure is. And I think you're right. I think there's only one other pitcher in the history of baseball to no-hit the same team uh, twice. So, hey, kudos to him. And uh, people better start paying close attention to Justin Verlander over the next year or two because he's getting up there in age. He continues to seem to get better, but at the same time, there's not going to be too many more years of Justin Verlander as a major leaguer. So soak it all in, and if you're at the game on Sunday, keep that ticket stuff because uh, it could be valuable one day. Yeah, shows his, showing off his gray beard even in his interview and proud of it. <laughs> I thought that was the more hilarious part of his Hazel May uh, re- interview at the end of the ball game and whatnot, but the fact that he is report, uh, approaching the end of his career and – I just don't see how he is not a Hall of Famer. And honestly, Brendan, he might have been a Hall of Famer before this resurgence with the Houston Astros because that's just how good he was when he was with the Detroit Tigers. 100%. It was crazy. You know what? I'm going to make a comparison, uh, especially because how we saw Nate Pearson as a Buffalo Bison where he could go out there and throw in the upper 90s deep into a ball game. Justin Verlander did the same thing as a Detroit Tiger, and he's still doing the same thing. He can always reach back for more gap on his fastball and his breaking stuff, even late in the game. He can sometimes save velocity, still be really good, and then late in the game when he needs to get through a lineup a third or fourth time, then, yeah, he can uh, he can still pump it up there. So exciting to see. And if Nate Pearson can be anything like Justin Verlander, then uh, Blue Jays are going to have a fucking good pitching prospect on their hand. Uh, <laughs> and <forward>. with authority <laughs> on that one, my friend. And I think that the, at least the Blue Jays fans that did happen to tune into the ball game and might have seen Justin Verlander's previous no-hitter, this is a different Justin Verlander, and this is the reason he has extended his career. Not a junk baller, per se, Brennan, but the fact that he just is a smarter pitcher and I think this is supposed to well for anybody in baseball, period, that knows that they can just have the stuff to get people out. And I think we have a few guys in our system that are like that. They might not have the lights-out stuff of a Nate Pearson. But the fact that you have guys that know how to spin the ball and get out of situations, a la Ryan Barucki, uh, we've seen with Jacob Wagas pack the last few months, things like that. So just the fact that you know that you can find a way to get people out at the major league level, and you could be very, very good still. It's very intriguing for the late career Justin Verlander comparison. Absolutely. As long as you can locate as a starting pitcher and trust your stuff, you'll be able to get big league hitters out. I mean, man, Marco Estrada never threw very hard at all, and he came close a few times to no hitters in perfect games with the Toronto Blue Jays. It was all about location, location, location. And Mark Burley was the exact same way as uh, his career as a Blue Jay and a Chicago White Sox. So, yeah. Just trust your stuff, locate, and no matter what or how hard you throw, you'll be able to get big league hitters out. And that's why we've seen last year Ryan Barucki be so successful. And we're going to touch on him later. But if TJ Zoit can locate his stuff, 
he could uh, be a very effective mid-rotation guy as well. And TJ Zoik did that hella good a couple nights ago, and he threw a no-hitter against the Rochester Red Wings right here in my hometown for the Buffalo Bisons. Unfortunately, I didn't go. (laughs) (laughs) And you missed it. And I was busy doing all sorts of work work. (laughs) (laughs) Craig, you have a family. It's a legitimate excuse. (laughs) I was doing work, though. (laughs) I went happily ditched work. (laughs) Anyway, but... Yeah, so to put a bow on the last week in Toronto Blue Jays baseball, though, in general, Brendan, this was a very ups and downs week. Obviously, that has been the theme of the season for the Blue Jays, a little bit more on the downside, but the fact that they were playing competitive baseball against teams that are sure things, division winners, keyword, division winners, Atlanta Braves, Houston Astros, and they went toe-to-toe with them for the most part, Brendan. I think that's pretty intriguing that the offense, other than the Justin Verlander story, was kind of in the batter's box and swinging hard against these teams. Yeah, they weren't blown out in any of those games other than the uh, Wednesday game last week when Vegas Pack got hit around a little bit by the Braves' offense. I mean, 9-4 in that game, but you go through, they win 3-1 on the Tuesday against Atlanta, they lose 7-4 to Houston on Friday night, and then they win 6-4, and then obviously they get shut out, losing 2 nothing to the Astros on Sunday. You can't fault them for any of that, man. And even yesterday, same thing. The Braves are a really, really good team. And even the fact on the homestand, they went 2-3 and three and were in almost every single ball game, other than the no-hitter and that 9-4 game, is a, I would say it's a pretty successful homestand. And you can see this team continue to grow. I will say, Craig, if this was last year or 2017 at this point, so many people would be completely checked out on this ball club. It is impossible to stay checked out. Even if you can't watch every inning or every game because you want to watch other stuff, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's you can't check out on this Blue Jay team because there's so many intriguing storylines moving forward as we wind down the major league season. Yeah, we're gonna get into some of those storylines here in a few moments, but the fact that I, I our podcast listeners last year, fans, I'll be honest with you, 100 percent took a hell of a nosedive after the All Star break. <laughs> <laughs> I think our highest rated show after that was the. I think the movie show over the off season where we did the top 10 baseball movies and just had in a collective group with Hayden Godfrey, myself, and Corsair and the voice of the Bluefield Blue Jays, Zach Helton, hashtag check out that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Exactly. And, um, but outside that Blue Jays baseball was dead and nailed shut into the grave a long time before uh, September baseball rolled around this year Brendan I'm looking forward to that game that I'm hopefully going to be able to make it up to end the season with us with you in Toronto so Blue Jays fans segue right (laughs) absolutely absolutely my friend I mean last year the games I made sure I tuned in for after even maybe even a little bit before the all-star break was Ryan Barucki's debut and then Sean Reed Foley's debut I made sure I watched both of those but this year, you had debuts of Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, I know that was before the All-Star break, Vlad Jr. Uh, you got guys like tonight and P.J. Zoic, Anthony Kay, I believe, was going to go on Sunday in Tampa Bay. So there's plenty of reason to tune into this team uh, for the rest of the season because it's going to be very intriguing to see guys like P.J. Zoic and Anthony Kay because, A, P.J. Zoic was the first ever draft pick of this front office. So this front office could use a little good PR and a feel-good story by one of their own draft picks. So if TJ Zoic goes out there and pitches well, we could hopefully spin that in a bit of a positive light. But also, Anthony Kay and the Marcus Stroman trade was really 
really figuring it out with the Buffalo Bisons. And if you can continue that with the Blue Jays, I think people are finally going to stop whining and complaining about the Marcus Stroman trade to the Mets. Yeah, I haven't been hearing as much on that front lately, and I think it has because people have gotten a glimpse of Anthony Kay on Meyer League TV, or at least watching Ryan DeFrancesco's Twitter page. One or the other. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Let's use this as a good, you know, partial segue here. The Blue Jays did just bring up a collective group of youngsters that were already on the 40-man roster other than uh, T.J. Zoic. Anthony Alper joins um, Richard Urania and Jonathan Davis. This is the first wave, Brendan, of the September call-ups, and I don't think it's going to stop here. I think there's still that chance that, obviously, we were talking about Anthony Kay has been more or less officially announced that he's going to be pitching at some point this week, we have been hearing Sunday, and then I think at, I think you got to give Yesney Diaz another chance. Otherwise, why shut him down? He was pitching pretty good near the end of the season for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. And then you have Patrick Murphy, who's on the 40-man roster already, eating into service time. Why not give him a bullpen couple innings here and there, just to throw things out? Not to mention, we could use some extra arms here anyway, Brendan. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they already called up NZD at once for that outing in Baltimore back in the middle of uh, of May, or sorry, uh, middle of August. So I don't see why they wouldn't call him back up. He's already on the 40-man, so they don't have to make room. Patrick Murphy could. I'm not sold that he will, but he is on the 40-man, as you said. We could use some bullpen arms or arms behind an opener like Wilmer Font tonight. But, yeah, I still think there'll be a few that get called up. I mean... Even guys down in AAA, I'd be interested in seeing somebody like a Kirby Sneed or a Tyler Sacito. I know you got to make some room for them on the 40-man, but there's some still some intriguing bullpen arms that could start carving out roles for themselves in the 2020 bullpen. Sneed among the top candidates for a bullpen spot going into 2020. So I think you're right. There's going to be another wave, and I don't think there were any surprises uh, on this first wave of uh, five call-ups for the big leagues. So TJ Zoik is going to be in this game at some point in the very Oh, sorry, he's there already. Boom. He's already <laughs> <in there. laughs> I took my eyes off the TV for three seconds and there he is. <laughs> so had a three seventy four ERA over eighty six and two thirds innings, Brendan. I know he's probably not gonna pitch a no hitter like he did a couple of weeks ago, but it's just very exciting to see Zoik on the mound tonight, regardless of the fact that he's wearing a number that's way out of his league in 71, right? <laughs> that's preseason <laughs> spring training number, right? <laughs> I believe the last Blue Jay to wear number 71 was Luis Santos, and that experiment did work out too well. So I think TJ Zoik can be a better number 71 than Luis Santos was as a Toronto Blue Jay. Shout out to Minor Leaguer for digging that one up. But, that was uh, a good one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited to see Zoic. I mean, I have the game on in the background just like you on mute so that I can pay attention to how Zoic's looked. And, man, he's already gotten one out. Maybe he's on his way to a no-no <laughs> in, his, in his outing. But, uh, yeah, this kid is exciting. He was obviously the first-round pick and the first-ever pick of this front office, so they could use him uh, in a good story uh, for September. Sinker baller, he's 6'7", man. People forget how tall and big TJ Zoic is. Maybe because he doesn't throw overly hard, but when that sinker is sinking and getting action, he can be pretty damn tough to hit, as evidenced by his no-hitter. And the fact that he is 6'7 is what makes that sinker, I think, look even more deceiving, Brendan. The fact that he is more or less tomahawking that thing to the frickin' plate. <laughs> Watching that spiral down against hitters has been very, very impressive to watch over the minor league season. 
and throughout his career in general in the Meyer Leagues, very, very polished to the point where I think he's going to have a chance to run away with a job next spring. <laughs> but it's very exciting to see this kind of thing come in, and I think the class of players that are joining him tonight on the uh, group we have been dying to see Anthony Alford all season, my friend. And he's finally healthy, it appears, and hit a heck of a home run to finalize his season with the Bisons last night. Yeah, I hope nothing for the best for Anthony Alford. This outfield is starting to get quite crowded. I know we're going to dive into that a little bit later in the episode, courtesy of uh, a Twitter submission, which was actually quite nice to see at work come through. But, uh, yeah, Anthony Alford is a, is a favorite of mine already. We saw him in 2017 before he broke his uh, bone in his hand when he hit that uh, screaming double against the Milwaukee Brewers at Miller Park. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to start carving out a niche for himself here in a, a spot in his roster because he's got guys like uh, Lourdes Doriel Jr., who are probably going to have a big league spot, Randall Gritchick, Derek Fisher. It's, it's very crowded. So Anthony Offer is going to need to impress in, uh, in September, and I think he will. Yeah, Anthony Alford has all the tools to be something special. Unfortunately, since his time in New Hampshire, Brendan, we have not really seen it due to leg injuries, arm injuries, this, that, but not anything really to the point where it should be hindering his eventual performance. It's not like he broke his leg or anything like that. It has been all kinds of just pure athletic injuries for muscle strains and things like that. So I really think he's got all the tools to continue to run with this. And this might eventually be what the Blue Jays fans were really excited about with seeing with Dalton Pompey, maybe with a little extra pop. Yeah, and again, I've said this a few times on past shows and different podcasts. I don't want to give up on Anthony Alford at all because he was a two-sport athlete, so he dedicated himself to baseball really late in his development. He's 25, but the comparison I will always make, which one of my buddies said, he can see him being like a Lorenzo Kane, just be an absolute late bloomer because just like Lorenzo Kane, he has all of the tools to be a stud in the outfielder or in the outfield. He may not be like Lorenzo Kane, but I think he can be something close, maybe a level below Lorenzo Kane. And if that's the case, then you're starting to look at a pretty decent outfield there for 2020 and 2021 with guys like Derek Fisher, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And I suppose Randall Gritchick will still be on this roster given the fact that they extended him a contract earlier this season. But uh, if he puts it all together, he's going to be exciting. And there in no way should be any rush to get Anthony Alford out of this organization. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Curtis Butcher, who was the one that submitted the talk about the outfield <laughs> from Twitter and the fact that this is everybody's going to be fighting for jobs in a position all of a sudden, Brendan, that is kind of ripe with talent and nobody's really stepped to the forefront in this conversation yet. Obviously, we're going to have Randall Gritchick next year. Loris Gurriel Jr. totally coming out of literally left field and <laughs> stealing one of these jobs. <laughs> but the fact that there is Anthony Alford, Derek Fisher now, and company, Brendan, who out of this group are you expecting to maybe take that next step and push for one of these jobs full-heartedly? Well, I think we haven't even mentioned him yet, and we should be talking about him, because I believe since his call-up back to the big leagues, Teoscar Hernandez has hit almost 20 home runs. So Teoscar is already starting to look like a full-time outfielder again and be the guy that everybody was excited for uh, last year when he got the call-up in April uh, against the Cleveland Indians. 
So Teoscar is starting to run away with it, but I'm going to hold him out of the conversation because we've seen Teoscar Hernandez a whole bunch. I think he's pretty much locked down the full t- a full-time outfield spot for 2020. I, I, and has he locked down center field for you? I think he has. He's looked pretty comfortable out there. And when he was a prospect with the Astros, he was playing center field and looking pretty decent out in the outfield. So perhaps comfort has something to do with it, too, playing in center field. He's used to the angle of the balls that are coming off bats. A little bit different, obviously, than playing left field or right field. So I think so. I think you can go into 2020 with the Oscar Hernandez as your full-time center fielder, which leaves two other spots up for grabs. But it also, Craig, brings up a discussion on Randall Gritchick because he hasn't really turned into the guy I think people expected. I mean, I think we know what he is, which makes the extension all the more confusing. Luckily, it's not going to hurt them long-term because it really isn't that much money and it was front-loaded. But with this collective talent of outfielders that are now at the big league level, even like a guy like Jonathan Davis and Billy McKinney still here, there's uh, not much room anymore, and Randall Gritchick has really got to start playing up to his contract to uh, to stay here long term. He might be one of those guys that they're hoping has a nice resurgence near the end of the season here, which, in all reality, Brendan, he has at this point. Did, did they dangle him in the off season, hoping to get somebody? I, want, I wonder, man, because there's going to have to be some trades or, or something. There's going to have to be some sort of acquisition or an outfielder moved, and the fact that Randall Gritchick is already under team control for another four years, or I guess five years after this, because I think his contract kicks in next year, uh, that could be quite intriguing to a team, especially if he gets off to a hot start next year. He could be dangled uh, this offseason or at the trade deadline next year for a piece. And it's a cool, it's a very team-friendly contract as well. So any team, team can pay a little bit extra. Yeah, spades. <laughs> the Blue Jays paid the majority <laughs> of the contract this season, Brendan. Yeah, no, that's completely right. Or at You're least right. is weighted per year anyway. Exactly. So, there, yeah, it's interesting because there is going to have to be some room made yet again for somebody. If a guy like Anthony Alford or Derek Fisher, I don't think Billy McKinney is in the conversation much anymore, but if somebody steps up and takes a job, then Randall Gritchick is going to need to start playing his way into, uh, into every day at bats. And if he doesn't, he looks okay, continues to be what he is. A team will take a chance on that because he's uh, under control and so cheap. And has hella pop. Mm-hmm. If you tap into that yep. for a full season and figure out whatever that last tidbit is, honestly, I hope he does figure that as a Blue Jay. But it would not shock me with the current state of the outfield and the fact that the Billy McKinney's and whatnot are not really tradable assets at this point. I don't see anybody else having the weight that Randy Randy Gritchick would have. <laughs> yeah, so. I completely agree. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him uh, going into next year. I think he'll definitely be here. I, I don't think he will be traded if possible, but they may dangle him. But if he is dealt, probably not until next deadline. So there's uh, not a whole lot of outfield spots up for grabs. I would say there's one that's uh, truly up for grabs next year, and that's left field with guys like Fisher and Billy McKinney, and Anthony Offord. Hey, I mean, Brandon Drury is still around. And is that assuming that Loris Gurriel Jr. is playing somewhere else, or are you just happy nope. putting That's him in right true. even That's if you very need true. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, it's hard. It's easy to forget about Lourdes right now. A few people because he hasn't been there, playing, but yes, he will be there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He, he, he has done nothing other than get injured to lose any sort of playing time when he does get healthy. So, I mean, hey, <laughs> when you think of it that way, if you go with those three guys, Gritchick, the Oscar and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 
then your outfield's pretty much set for 2020 with guys like Derek Fisher, Billy McKinney, Offer, Jonathan Davis all battling for a fourth outfield spot. Correct. And I think with the fact that Loris Gurriel Jr. is kind of on the cheaper side compared to Randall Grichik, I would think that that would be where your argument, plus the insane plus side we've seen from Loris Gurriel Jr., more or less solidifying the middle of our lineup through the, most of the season after his call-up from Buffalo. I just see him kind of running away with that job. Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichik being the wild cards, if you will, in that whole situation, Brendan. And I just think that's where the differences are at the point but let's say something crazy happens because this was a two-part question by Curtis Butcher who on the free agent market is even possibly in the ballpark for this team unfortunately if you're really looking around the um, link here that I happen to stumble across for the 2020 um, free agent list outfielders there's not a lot to be super excited about here Brendan the best name on this list might be um, Nicolos, Nicolos, Nick Castellanos <laughs> or Starling Marte, who was also over on the wrong side at 30 at this point. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they dip into the free agent market in the outfield because there are a lot of names. It's quite crowded, and they're going to have to start making calls on these guys going into 2020. I mean, Marcelo Zuna is an option, and he kind of fits in the window of this team. Uh, as you said, Nick Castellanos as well. He's 28, but yeah, other guys are uh, pretty much everybody else, just with the way baseball is in free agency and how late people hit free agency. There isn't a whole lot of names out there. SEL Puig could be out there as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would be very, very surprised if they dipped into free agency because there's a lot, there is a lot of talent in this outfield right now. And if they can tap into one of those with a Fisher or an Alford, or, uh, I, I don't think Davis will be anything more than a fourth outfielder, but... Uh, they could uh, they could stumble their way into a very nice looking outfield in 2020. Yeah, and I think the thing you hit the biggest there on those free agent names, all those guys we mentioned, those are the only four free agent outfielders that are under the age of 30. Avisal Garcia, Yaziel Puig, Marcelo Zuna, Nick Castellanos. Those are the only four that are projected to hit the market at this point. And Marcelo Zuna is probably on his way to a heck of a payday after his season with the Cardinals. Yeah, I think all of those guys that we mentioned are on their way to a nice payday, which would be out of the Blue Jays League at this point. I mean, they obviously have the financial flexibility to do so. They do have the money to be able to spend when they want to spend it. Uh, but I think they're going to be well outbid. And, yeah, I just don't think they uh, – I mean, you can make a case for Castellanos and uh, Marcelo Zuna being within the window of contention for this team, and they would be fantastic uh, to add to this roster, but uh, I, I, I just don't see it. If anything, it would probably end up falling to a two-year role-play model that if you were assuming that Randall Gritchick doesn't take that next step and you're trying to cover yourself, I guess, would be the only thing, but you're really trading players for that same level as Corey Dickerson, uh, Cameron Maven, Adam Eaton, Nick Markakis, kind of in that same mold of what you're already getting with um, Randall Grittrick and possibly trading offense for defense and et cetera would be the only catch, Brendan. Yeah, and at that point, I'd rather stay with Randall Grittrick than dive into guys you just mentioned, like a Cameron Maven uh, or whoever else is on that free agent market because, yeah, he's already under control and he's quite cheap. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, Chris Butcher, uh, I don't think that they will dive into the free agent market. I just think it's too crowded. 
if they do move one, it'll be via trade, which will open up a full-time spot for somebody else. The only thing that could happen outside that, Brendan, is the Blue Jays are feeling nostalgic for a possible Angry Bird Blue Jay uniform day and bring back Travis Lu- Travis Snyder, the lunchbox hero. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember how excited we were getting about Travis Snyder back in the day? He looked okay at times, but, yeah, that was a, that was a fail. <laughs> yeah. And, unfortunately, he took a season off of baseball, and he's been putting around in the Arizona Diamondbacks minor league system hoping to – get something going again but as far as it goes I just don't see anything going on like you had mentioned with the Blue Jays outfield this offseason and we'll go more depth about this kind of stuff once we actually know what the outfield looks like because you know come December 1st all hell could break loose for the Blue Jays trading free agent signing who knows (laughs) so we will discuss future ramifications later but there was one other headline we got to talk about this week uh, Brendan and it's the fact that today uh, the supposed leak of Ken Giles' trade to the New York Yankees. No names have been put to the Ken Giles trade, but the fact that it was supposed to be three prospects from the New York Yankees to the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'll let you ram, uh, jump in here first on what you level-wise of what those three prospects were. Is I think you hit the nail on the head pretty well on Twitter earlier today. Yeah, with that many guys coming back, you definitely were getting Davey Garcia who I would have absolutely loved. He's their number one prospect as a Yankee right now. He's a pitcher, uh, and he's been quite good down in the minor leagues. I can't imagine it being, I can see it being maybe a guy like a Johnson Mwaitiga, or I don't even know if Albert Albreu would fit in that mold as well, but my guess is you're looking somewhere down towards like the mid to low teens in terms of guys in the Yankees' uh, prospects list, like a Nick Nelson. And that was right probably one list. of those guys. Yeah, no, exactly. It may have been one of those top guys, maybe in the top 15, and then maybe even guys who aren't even on their top 30 or maybe one guy uh, that rounds out the top 30 prospects for the Yankees. So I'm glad that it didn't happen. But the non-trade of Ken Giles could be one of the best things to happen to this team if they are good in 2020 because you know you'll have a lockdown closer at the back end of your bullpen. And I also don't think if it was three guys, I don't think that people would have been overly excited about this return because we were shooting for somebody like a Davey Garcia or an Albert Abreu or Luis Gill as examples and names to throw around. Would this help the Blue Jays fans swallow the Marcus Stroman trade, which initially looked, in most Blue Jays fans, harsh? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Because I have a feeling this would have been, just like you said, a lackluster return for somebody as important to the Yankees' playoff hopes as somebody like Ken Giles would be. Um, the fact the other flip side of this coin is, uh, I don't know if you got to see the article that was over at Blue Jays Nation, but was this Yankee sabotage of the Toronto Blue Jays trade deadline? I wonder. That's a very interesting conspiracy theory because maybe they just didn't want Ken Giles to go. I don't. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, the alleged I, rumor was that he could be going to the Red Sox or the Atlanta Braves. I believe was one of them, and then the Minnesota Twins. Three, two of those three teams are in the hunt against the New York Yankees. Crazier things have happened in baseball, Brendan. Yeah, I mean, it is possible. I think uh, maybe reading a little bit too deep into it, but it's possible, especially if it was the Minnesota Twins and the Boston Red Sox who were making deep pushes for Ken Giles. Maybe the Yankees offered them the best possible package at the time, but they were just not quite ready to pull the trigger on it. We're not so, happy with I'm it. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to say no to any sort of conspiracy. 
but I won't dismiss it. I, I'll be here for a conversation and an argument about that if you really want to go at it. <laughs> Yankees podcast listeners, if you're out there and host a show, Brendan Panikar will make himself available. <laughs> That's right. I'll come on and we'll we'll uh, dive into if they think there was conspiracy or, or if they're pissed off that the Yankees didn't pull the trigger on getting Ken Giles. Or maybe they didn't offer enough. Maybe they would think I, I would be very scared of that Yankee bullpen if Ken Giles happened to be sitting there lurking in the wings um, with everybody else. That bullpen is already a little nuts as it is, but that's one way the, the Yankees could have covered up a rough season for their starting pitchers by bolstering their ball, bullpen and just going nuts on the back end of the ball game with guys that can eat up crazy amounts of innings and uh, high velocity like Ken Giles. Well- can you just imagine when the Yankees get to the playoffs and they just have to throw somebody out there for three innings, go one time or two times through an order, and then you can turn it over to guys like Chad Green, Luis Sessa, Tommy Canely, Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, and Aroldis Chapman. If you add Ken Giles to that mix, I don't know how the hell you're hitting anybody after a starter gets out. you got to make sure uh, against anybody who's playing the Yankees in the playoffs at that point, even still uh, without Ken Giles, that you got to hit their starters to get them out early. Uh, and get a lead before you turn it over that bullpen. That would have been insane. I actually would have been so down to watch that. <laughs> exactly, right? Now, in hindsight, it feels a million times better, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. But the it fact does. that it would have been the Yankees hoping to throw somebody out there for three or four, well, like you said, maybe four or five innings for four different starts, you can get through the playoffs with just three starters and have a ridiculous bullpen. That's what the Kansas City Royals did to us in 2015. And it's been a followed mold since. Yeah, you can absolutely get by. I mean, you saw the Royals in 2015 throw guys like Volquez and, and Jordano Ventura uh, and whoever else was Cueto. in their rotation. The third, the yeah, Josh Cueto. You can only throw them out there for four or five innings before you turn it over to guys at the time like uh, Wade Davis or I'm blanking on one of the other guys. I can picture him right now. Closer, Calvin Herrera. There it is. It came yeah. to me. <laughs> and then not to mention having Greg Holland just kind of in and out of that, road, that bullpen all the time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, even Ryan Matson was okay for a little while, too. So it worked. It worked for the Royals. It shouldn't have. The Blue Jays should have been World Series champions that year, but uh, we'll won't go, much, we won't much, open much that so. loop. <laughs> 90 but, feet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 90, yeah, ninety feet in a hundred or uh, hundred and eighty feet from taking the lead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the fact you know, that yeah. uh, the days of the ridiculous rotation are apparently gone outside of Houston right now, and <laughs> the, the, day, the days of Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz rotation are far off, and it's just how the game has evolved. That this is now a bullpen game, my friend. But the fact is. The Blue Jays have the buildings of a very good rotation, and we're going to dive right in here to our minor league kind of like standouts, awards, or whatever from Jaybird watching here as the minor league season is now whoop, done for the rest of the season across the board. And, Brendan, it was a very exciting season, but let's kick off things down in single A full season with the Lansing Lugnuts. And we had plenty of talent going through this team this year some promotions that were, you know, late showings in Dunedin that other than a random hurricane weather right now would be playoff time for the Dunedin Blue Jays. Yeah, it was uh, a ton of fun in the minor league level, and there's a ton of uh, ton of names that have started to put their names on the map for this Toronto Blue Jays system, and it should get people excited because there are a whole bunch of different guys down there, whether they're pitchers, whether they're position players that you can dream on 
seeing them in the big leagues in 2024, 2025. I mean, if we're starting with the Lansing Lugnuts, I definitely think the MVP there is quite obvious. Griffin Conine, is it not? 22 home runs, 283 average, and an OBP of 371. I don't think you can argue against that, can you? Slightly hard-pressed to, to uh, really argue with anything other than the Barbarian 2.0 here as far as Griffin Conine's prowess at the plate is concerned, Brennan. But, oh my God, there has been plenty to be very excited about in Lansing this year. And I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction here. And I'm just going to, you know, argue with you just for the sake of argument, even though I might not be into my depth. I love watching Alejandro Kirk play, and he had a heck of a season in Lansing to start things off. Can I say MVP after 27 games? Not really, but I think the only other guy that really challenged on offense, Griffin Conine, is Otto Lopez. That is 324 through 108 games. Very very good stuff and this is a 20 steal guy that happened to also break in 20 doubles so that is very very good stuff Brandon yeah I mean the one knock on Griffin Conine which could open it up to other people is the fact he struck out 125 times in 304 plate appearances that's off we're getting awfully close to 50% of the time Griffin Conine was striking out the plate so there is definitely an argument to be made it would have been Jordan Groshans if Jordan Groshans season wasn't cut early which was unfortunate, but uh, Groshans has put himself on the map uh, on uh, Baseball America's top 100 prospects. I think he ended up in the top 35, maybe in the top 40 uh, at the end of the season, so there's your third baseman of the future, but uh, yeah, Otto Lopez, Alejandro Kirk, both have fantastic years, even if Kirk's stay in Lansing wasn't overly long. Yeah, and very, very, very good stuff, but... On the other side of the ball, Brendan, there, the, there were some good things going on here, too. Um, I believe you have a good pitcher in mind. I do. Jackson Reese. <laughs> <laughs> Just a touch. Don't know why yeah, that would be for- your, uh, you know, only guy there. <laughs> there is a, there's, there's definitely more. Like Eric Pardino in seven games. Jackson Reese got 14 with a 0.36 ERA and 44 strikeouts in 25 and a third innings. I think there I have to go Josh Winkowski, probably the most Josh improved Win- Lansing Lugnut over the last year. Very, very cool to see him take that next step and through 73 innings this year, very, very lights out. Yeah, uh, Josh Winkowski definitely put himself in the, I believe I had him in uh, my tweet about the waves of starting pitchers uh, moving forward for this organization. Joey Murray as well, another guy who's really, his stock has risen over the last little while. A lot of very intriguing arms down in uh, down in uh, Lansing Lugnuts, and it's exciting because some of these guys are going to start making the jump to Dunedin in New Hampshire and maybe even Buffalo as soon as 2020. So they're coming. The young pitchers are coming, my friend. And let's continue the uh, idea of young pitching as we jump up to the Dunedin Blue Jays, who. I guess I haven't heard anything about the playoffs because of the hurricane and anything yet, but the fact is they were basically both half winners. <laughs> yeah. And it was mostly on this pitching staff along with plenty of offense. Yeah. I mean, again, guy we just talked about, Jackson Reese, 0.99 ERA in 25 games with uh, the Nodine Blue Jays. Is, again, his season was fantastic. Joey Murray had a longer stay in, the, uh, in Dunedin than he did down in, uh, down in Lansing. Josh Winkowski, again, all those guys saw time at both levels. 
Uh, other guys a little bit more off the pass who had decent years. Kyle Weatherly in 37 games, a 3.81 ERA. Definitely worth mentioning. Um, the fact that Kyle even Maverick Bush, Buffo and some of these other guys got back in the swing of things was nice to see, too. John Harris exactly. uh, had a little brief stint in, Dun- in Dunedin, but the fact Maximo Castillo, Brendan, I had a strange feeling after a, I'm going to say, good season with the Lansing Lugnuts last year. Completely turned over a new leaf this season in 130 innings. 2.69 ERA. Sneaky prospect for the Toronto Blue Jays, Brendan. And there's another guy that people aren't talking about much uh, is Maximo Castillo and another guy who you brought up before we started recording, Graham Spraker, as well, in uh, 108.2 innings. Doesn't strike as many guys out as Maximo Castillo, but Spraker with a 2.90 ERA uh, as well. And everybody's favorite guy that they're talking about now, SWR, Simeon Woods Richardson, in his six games as a youngster in Dunedin, a 2.54 ERA and 29 strikeouts. Uh, and I just lost the innings count. There we go, 28.1. So good season for Simeon Woods Richardson as well. And. On offense, Brendan. Come on, I know you want to say it. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Chavez Young is definitely up there, but Demi Oramoyale, however you pronounce it. He's Demi Canadian. O. Demi O. We're going to go with Demi O to not pronounce his last name until I get proper pronunciation of that. But, yeah, man, there was Demi, Chavez Young, Kevin Vicuña had himself a nice season as well. Samad Taylor was all right. Other than the 216 batting average, he got on base 3.25% of the time, so not so bad. But yeah, there's a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball, too, including our own Alejandro Kirk, who we love to talk about, uh, had very good seasons. And Logan Warmuth kind of was off the map a little bit in Dunedin, but had a nice little year with the 292 batting average, so definitely some good offensive prospects down there as well. I think a lot of things for Blue Jays prospect people, Watching Chavez Young this season take a next step in Dunedin was a much-needed thing. He might not be showing it completely with the batting average, but the fact that he was able to drive in runs, steal bases, and the strikeouts were a little leaning. (laughs) But the fact that he did take an extra stride this season in 111 games shows that he might be ready for a next challenge or at least a brief stint in Dunedin to start next season, and I think that was needed by a lot of Toronto Blue Jays prospects, uh, I'll say surveyors. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think it'll be too long before he gets himself to New Hampshire uh, as soon as maybe May or June uh, of 2020. Uh, And Demi O as well is another guy, young, but he could see his way up the uh, minor league system a little bit next year as well. So there's a lot of guys who are really starting to make jumps, and that's why this... uh, organization uh, is ranked so highly regarded among Baseball America prospects rankings so uh, they need these guys to continue to develop and make jumps and be surprises as well there's a lot of guys that like we mentioned Joey Murray and Josh Rinkowski and others that just surprised you uh, in how much they developed this season so it's all coming together in the minor leagues Craig. Yeah and the fact that I think we made the joke plenty of time that there's a about the, the top 30 prospect can get blown out to top 50 pretty quickly with how good this talent is in this organization, and it's not a large stretch. And I'm not just saying that because I want to talk about Colin Large. 
<laughs> Segway. Yeah. Shout, shout out to the Radio Scout 84 games yeah. with the Indian Blue Jays. It was one of my more sneaky guys that I couldn't believe took that big step. But 269, Brendan, it showed off on the offense with 23 doubles and 40 RBIs. That's some talent and some pop that's going to play well in the gaps possibly in, in AA next season with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. I like how much he got on base too. 360 OBP uh, showed an ability to take his base on balls and, and get on base or wreak some havoc on the base path. So, yeah, another guy who's not really talked about much down in the minor leagues, but for the minor league gurus such as yourselves uh, and others on uh, Blue Jays Twitter, uh, definitely reason to get excited about Colin Large. Yeah. So, seeing I mentioned the double A thing, Brennan, do you want to promote us up to New Hampshire Fisher Cats? Let's do it, my friend. Where do you want to start? On the offensive or defensive, or on the pitching side? I'm going to be kind. Uh, Your choice. <laughs> you know what? There's a lot of candidates. Uh, obviously, uh, in Double A, um, Evan Smith unfortunately did not have the season that he wanted with a 209 batting average. But man, did he turn things around in the second half? Ended it's up with 19 home runs. Yeah, very, very oddly split. And he's put himself back on the map as well because he was a guy that we were talking about on this show, uh, and the front office was talking a hell of a lot about last off season with Kevin Smith uh, and his progression. But you know what? There's two guys right off the top that uh, both saw time in Buffalo towards the end of the year in Forest Wall and Santiago Espinal. Santiago Espinal, Craig, he definitely lived up to that projection of being a breakout guy in the minor league, so I think he definitely deserves a shout-out for his season in Double A. Yeah, very, very cool to see those guys turn it on, especially Forest Wall. We kind of had the, the tease of Santiago Espinal this offseason, Brendan, when we all kind of geeked out that he was the possible breakout candidate in all baseball minor league baseball by the minor league writers that was a pretty nice incentive right and then seeing Forrest Wall really revitalize his career in the Blue Jays organization after being more or less a cast off at that point with the uh, Rockies organization so it was nice to see him move through and get promoted to the Buffalo Bisons and honestly it was a, both of those guys pretty big pushes for the what became a uh, you know possible playoff hopes for the Buffalo Bisons at the end. Yeah, they were definitely welcome additions to the Bisons. That definitely gave them a little bit of shot of adrenaline towards the end of the year. I think we're going to see Santiago Espinal up in the big league, uh, up in the big leagues uh, as soon as next year. He'll probably start the year in AAA, and if there's an injury in the middle of the diamond, or maybe there's a trade in the offseason, uh, I would not be surprised if we see Santiago Espinal at the big league level at some point in 2020. I don't think we'll see Forrest Wall. I wouldn't be surprised if Forrest Wall gets one more crack very quickly in double-A before cementing himself in the Bison's outfield in 2020. Uh, again, I the only reason I say that about Forrest Wall is because of, we talked about earlier, how many names are currently at the big league level uh, now with September call-ups and guys they got to make calls on. But Forrest Wall was definitely one of the bigger surprises for me, considering that, yeah, as you mentioned, he's a bit of a cast-off. With the Colorado Rockies, they got him in the Sungwon deal, and if he can turn into a major league outfielder, then it's pretty safe to say that that trade would be a win for the Toronto Blue Jays. Curtis, just FYI, there's an extra bonus one for you on your outfield possibilities. <laughs> so, anyways, Brendan, I gotta talk about Joshua Palacios. Fifteen stolen yes. bases, eighteen doubles. 
not a ton of RBIs, but the fact that he did take that next turn lessened his strikeouts. He's under 100 strikeouts and in a harder difficulty at the New Hampshire Fisher Cats level in AA, especially in the Eastern League. I think it was really good to see him. He might not have been reflecting with a full batting average, but you look at his on-base and his slugging, this is a guy that could carry very well and has very similar tools to the Dalton Pompey Anthony Alford conversation that we had earlier. Probably not as much power, but the fact that his legs and his on-base percentage will carry. Yeah, and we've seen Josh Palacios a few times uh, throughout spring training the last few years. And if, uh, again, he can start adding himself to the mix of a crowded outfield of names that you should be talking about heading into 2020. Uh, again, I don't think we'll see him anytime soon. Maybe one of those guys that just stays down in the minors for longer than he should in other teams' organizations just because of how deep the Blue Jays' farm system is right now. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be able to see him again in spring training of 2020. If he continues to grow, he should see himself in Buffalo probably by, I want to say, July of next year, maybe August. It's not a bad ETA, my friend. <laughs> I think that's probably about on point. So... Pitching side at the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, who has kind of impressed you? And if you say Brock Lundquist, who is a hitter, I'm not going to be very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there is only one name uh, to really, really talk about, and that was Nate Pearson uh, in his 16 games. But I think that's a little too obvious, Greg. So I'm going to go with our friend Yenzi Diaz, uh, just because he did get one very brief cup of coffee at the big league level in mid-August, as we referred to earlier. So, Yenzi Diaz, uh, big strikeout numbers, 516. <laughs> exactly. Good velocity, can work up in the zone. He was the only player uh, for the Dunedin, or sorry, for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats to throw a complete game shutout this season. So, uh, props to Yenzi Diaz. And again, maybe we will see him uh, with the next round of September call ups, more towards the middle of September. I'd love to see him just come out of the bullpen and air it out the last couple months here. And <laughs> he's got an impressive arm. And I don't think Blue Jays fans got a proper dose of what they could have gotten out of Yesne Diaz. I'm going to make this comparison for Blue Jays fans. You saw the Matt Boyd level of Toronto Blue Jay level with Yesne Diaz. And now Matt Boyd is the only player from that Detroit Tigers trade from, Matt, or from David Price that actually has kind of carried any weight in the major leagues. Yeah, so Diaz has that kind of potential to be a lights-out pitcher at the major league level, Brendan. I hope you're right, because uh, another guy who will probably be fighting for a big league spot in the rotation, maybe as soon as spring training next year, probably will start the year in AAA Buffalo, would be my guess. Uh, but, uh, again, another guy who's putting himself on the map for uh, the 2021 and 2022 rotation, or... I mean, we've mentioned so many guys, and if you can make a prospect list of close to 50, or I'm starting to think as far as 60 names, maybe he can be a trade ship at next year's deadline if this team is hanging around the race. Yeah, and the fact that him and Patrick Murphy are already on the 40-man roster, they either got to stay protected or be completely wide open to Major League Baseball. And I wouldn't want to see either of those guys go, because even though Patrick Murphy's numbers in the second half did weigh, he had a stellar first half of the season and really watched his stuff inflate down the stretch and the fact is I don't think he's thrown a ton of innings so this was a little bit of a stretch for him and yes it's going to happen one other pitcher I do want to mention that I saw great strides from this year 
Zach Logue, who was very, very good with the Lansing Lugnuts to start off last season. And I'm honestly surprised he got his way up to pitch as many innings as he did with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats this season, Brendan, and had a 410 ERA. That's a hard one even. He even got a cup of coffee with the Buffalo Bisons towards the end of the season, too. So, again, he was, I believe, in wave number two of starting pitchers in my tweet that I made, I think, at the midway point of July uh, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, Logue is another name who is uh, going to have a shot. I know. That tweet will be able to be added to with more names this off season And uh, vultured by Blue Jays oh. media. <laughs> Exactly. Just always referred to. That tweet will be evergreen. It's the epic one. (laughs) So, and we're not even talking about the fact that Kirby Snead did get the start with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. We're going to get to him in a few minutes. The Ty Tices of the world. And Jackson McClellan, man, one of the better arms that was opened up for everybody to grab in the Rule 5 draft. And stayed at Toronto Blue Jay and had a very good season with 42 and a third and a 2.98 ERA and a 1.28 whip, Brandon. Pretty good stuff from Jackson McClellan. I'm, shock- I'm shocked he didn't go claim, especially because Travis Bergen did as well. Luckily, Travis Bergen is now back in the organization. But you know what, man? All these names that we mentioned that are going to have to be protected uh, this offseason, there's going to be some very, very difficult cuts to this 40-man roster uh, as we go closer to the Rule 5 draft portion of the offseason we'll go much more in depth on that in our projections for who may or may not be left off the 40 man but just throwing it out there now Craig there's going to be a lot of very difficult decisions for this front office to make in terms of guys who will be exposed or not exposed to the rule 5 draft very 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 much so because we haven't even started talking about the Buffalo Bisons yet Brendan we got one more stop before we wrap up the show here and I can't say Boba Shett because he's a Blue Jay but in the minor league system here for the Toronto Blue Jays, who really was sticking out for you in Buffalo this season? Honestly, man, people may laugh at me saying this, but Socrates Brito had himself a very nice season with the Buffalo Bisons. Was actually named the Buffalo Bisons MVP officially. Exactly. There you go. 282 batting average, 328 OBP. Not as great of an OBP as you'd expect for a higher batting average, but... He still added 60 homers, 67 RBIs, stole seven ba- or 11 bases. Uh, yeah, Socrates Burrito. There's something there with him, Craig, and it's why the Blue Jays took a chance on this guy uh, when they made the deal for him at the very beginning of the season. Uh, and he showed it in AAA, and he continues to do that at every stop. Just a matter of putting it together at the big league level, which... Uh, something he failed miserably at <laughs> when he was in front of Blue Jays. Tell me how you really, really feel about it. <laughs> I think for a little while in April, Craig, until we finally got the demotion, there was at least a solid 10 minutes per episode where we just whined, bitched, and moaned about Socrates Burrito still being on the big league I'm roster. I'm pretty sure that every one of those episodes was named He's Still Here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if it's not, we should go back and change the episode title to He's Still Here Part 5. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, other than the fact that I'm vulturing every running back available in my uh, fantasy football league, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> How good and how quietly good was Andy Burns for the Buffalo Bisons this season, my friend? Yeah, he was uh, very good. 275, 364. Uh, he hit 19 home runs as well. He's another guy who we've seen a lot of in 
spring training the last few years. And you know what? He kind of, to me, is falling in that mold of a Jason Lebledegian who is just always performing very well at the AAA level, but there's just not room for him at the big league level. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where Andy Burns ends up and where he will be playing next year. My my bet would be in Buffalo yet again. But, uh, yeah, another good, se- another good season for him. Um, but I still don't end up, I don't, don't see him end up being much more than a Jason Lovelady type. But the fact is, you know, it could be one of those stories that everything starts at 30. He's 29. Yeah. <laughs> so you never know that the Blue Jays are pretty good at that. <laughs> we've been having some pretty good luck on that one. But, um, the fact that him, Patrick Kivalan uh, and, um, company have just put good seasons together and the fact that if we don't talk about Jonathan Davis's insane defense we're doing a disservice to Jonathan Davis saving a no-hitter for the guy on the mound who is looking pretty damn good in his debut so far <laughs> Jonathan Davis has been a force on defense and basically defensive equivalent of Kevin Pillar maybe offensive if you want to make the argument <laughs> yeah, I, I think he can definitely be more. I mean, Kevin Pillar, it's kind of silly that he's hit 20 home runs with the Kev, with the San Francisco Giants. Who would have thought? But that's, that's besides the point. He's baseball. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, that uh, that catch he made to preserve um, a TJ Zoyce no-hitter a few weeks ago was uh, highlight-worthy that should be played over and over again for the next two years, especially in Buffalo Bison highlight packages. Guy is something else defensively. I, forget, I believe when he was up here earlier, he had already had like three or four defensive runs saved in a very brief time at the big league level, and that was amongst tops in the major league. So His David, entire war yeah. was based off defense, and it was not exactly. too shabby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, he's the prototypical fourth outfielder. I don't think he'll be anything more than that, but uh, he's a guy that you need, especially come playoff time for a contending team. Great to have the speed off the bench, and like you said, having key the fact that he will be a solid defensive player. This isn't plugging Ezekiel Carrera in. That is a above average outfielder. This is an insanely good defensive outfielder. And he's going to hit enough. Maybe in the mold of uh, Rajay Davis hitting would be my ballpark for him. I'd be totally fine with the Rajay Davis. Again, uh, quite fitting that they uh, have the same last name, isn't it? <laughs> I thought that was kind of odd, too. But I was, you couldn't have, if, if I wasn't looking at the stat sheet, I would have never in a million years thought that Jonathan Davis had 10 home runs with the Bisons this year. And I watched a plenty of games. <laughs> got sneaky pop, man. He does have some sneaky pop. He, he gets to the ball quite quickly in his, uh, in his at-bat. So he's, uh, he's, a good, he's a good player. And I expect him to have a role in this team uh, for the next two years. Yeah, and it's going to be fun to watch, I think. But let's flip to the other side of the ball, my friend. Uh, The pitching. Plenty to be excited about here, too. And that's not just to say the Buddy Boshears, sorry, and company that have been dancing in and out of our bullpen. Justin Schaefer took a big step. Yeah, he sure did. And it was nice to see because they needed some bullpen arms down the stretch. So Schaefer definitely put himself back on the map. But there's other guys, too. I think the story with the Bisons is uh, some of these bullpen arms that uh, could figure their way into the 2020 bullpen. You know, you got Zach Jackson, Kirby Sneed, Tyler Cicito, Ty Tice. There's a whole bunch of bullpen arms down there in Buffalo that could play their way into the 2020 bullpen. Um, So I think that's a very good thing. Uh, Obviously, we saw 
up and down seasons from guys like Sean Reed Foley, who was in the big leagues a few times this year. Uh, Jacob Wegespeck started off with Buffalo and has now cemented himself in the Blue Jays rotation for the rest of the year. The story, pitching-wise, for the Bisons, other than TJ's nice no-hitter, was the bullpen was very damn good. Yeah, watching Kirby Snead pitch this week, this um, season has been a pleasure. Almost lights out type stuff. Very in the mold of uh, Ken Giles. If it's not a high leverage situation, Brendan, you saw the ERA leak a little bit. But the fact that when the game was online, Kirby Snead was very, very intense and hard to get a hit off of in the late innings of the international league stuff. He's pretty locked down, man. And the fact that he's a lefty as well is definitely going to help his case to be in the 2020 bullpen. I wouldn't be surprised if he is. I, I actually kind of fully expect him to break team or to break camp with the Toronto Blue Jays next season. I'm calling that one. He's at least going to give Tim Mays a run for his money, I think, come spring training. Because that was another guy for the Blue Jays that we were shocked that hasn't taken that next step. And you wonder if there was an alternative. Maybe there's something there. <laughs> but I don't know. And I'm going to just say it, it's good to see Jordan Romano back, regardless of the fact that he had a really rough season, up and down injuries here there, back and forth between Texas. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. But, man, it was uh, very encouraging seeing him a few times at the big league level. He's got some pretty damn good stuff. Can you say potential closer of the future, maybe, if Ken Giles is no longer with this team uh, after 2020? You never that, know. Romano looked pretty good. <laughs> that's the reason that it is nice to have Ken Giles while Romano figures that out because I do think he has potential to really lock down a role like that. So, Brendan, unless you have another thing you'd like to talk about, we're at an hour. Uh, do you want to touch on Buck Holtz real quick? Because I know there was plenty in the Twitterverse about him possibly being a sign after he has kind of proven himself worthy in his last couple outings. He has. You know what? Let's save it for a more in-depth conversation for next week to not go too much over an hour, just uh, for the courtesy of our listeners. But that's definitely a topic of discussion to be had because it's been floated around there a whole bunch. Clay Buckles has definitely played his way into coming back for 2020, and I would not be against it. Circled for next week. That's your hosting, so you better hurry up and remember that. <laughs> I will add it to my agenda that I'm already formulating in my head. <laughs> All right, so to the fact that we are deadlocked between you, me, and our guest spot on our wonderful picks to click. Two, two, two. Deuces all around, my friend. Um, last week, you had Boba Shett. I had Reese McGuire. And Adam Corsair picking Kevin Biggio. I don't know who to pick. <laughs> yeah. But I did sure have a nice either. week with <laughs> Reese McGuire. <laughs> Let's go with Reese. Go with Reese. You're going to give me a win? Yeah. I don't I'll know. Boba Shett had his, uh, finally had his sophomore slump, it seems. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, a little bit of a quiet week compared to what we've seen uh, for the start of Boba Shett's major league career. Figures you see when what I you did. him. I know. He can blame me, fans. He can come at my mentions and say, hey, screw you for picking Boba Shett and pick the click. So uh, that's kind of foreshadowing in a way who I'm going to pick uh, for this week. Uh, so hopefully uh, it has the opposite effect on what it did with Bo. <laughs> okay, buddy. So hit me with it. Who do you think? Anthony K is going to have a nice major league debut. I'm going to lock in Anthony K. <laughs> Brendan Panikar locking in Anthony K after a stellar last few outings in Buffalo to end his season up. Funny enough, buddy, after watching tonight, I think TJ Zoik earned himself a legitimate first start 
and I'm going to run with not even including this game into my fun, but TJ Zoik is going to be my pick. Done. Yeah, I love it. He's looked pretty damn good so far, getting some ground balls. A little bit of hard contact, but they're finding gloves. Uh, a nice debut for him now, and I completely agree. I'm not sure if you caught this with what Joe Siddle said before the game. I I don't know, or I don't think that there should have been an opener for TJ Zoik this time around. He's on a, I would say he's a level above Sean Reed Foley and Jacob Wagus pack to the point where those guys, it makes more sense to have an opener. I would have let him go and air it out from the very beginning. I think that was just as much to protect him slash it was actually Wilmer Font's opening day turn. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah. guess you take it with a grain of salt, but I didn't see anything throughout TJ Zoik's minor league career to alarm me in this you know, major league debut. And in all reality, Blue Jays fans, this is a typical TJ Zoik start. What he looks like every game I've watched in Buffalo, there's going to be a few balls that are hit right on the screws, but he does a good job of somehow making sure that they're, you know, usually little liners that go over the infield or just find gloves on ground balls. That ball has some wicked sink, my friends. And, Brendan, this is what I think Blue Jays fans can get used to in a prototype, prototypical uh, TJ Zoik start. I think you can uh, put TJ Zoik right in a similar mold uh, and view him in the same light that you do a Ryan Barucki. He's not going to be overly flashy. They don't throw overly hard. They rely on location uh, and break on their off-speed stuff. Uh, I, I do think TJ Zoik portrays and projects as a mid-rotation arm. Uh, obviously, with other guys in the system like a Pearson and Pardino Kloffenstein and guys who are a little further off like Manoa um, and Wood Richardson, uh, that will put Zoic down to a fourth spot, maybe, uh, in the long-term future. And if TJ Zoic is your fourth or fifth guy in a rotation, you are got yourself a pretty damn good pitching rotation. Yeah. <laughs> With how some of his friends that are coming up through this system, it's sad to hear that he might be a fourth or fifth guy. <laughs> so it is what it is. But Blue Jays fans, that's another wonderful episode of Jaybird watching, Brennan. This has been a great season for us here on the show, one way or the other, and very exciting stuff going on here. Yeah, I, I must take our listeners. I know it's September. It's starting to wind down. We've all been pretty loyal. Uh, it seems, Craig, to be picking up each and every week, so hopefully we can continue to uh, bring you good content as the season winds down and into the offseason. And stay listening. Yeah, we have some uh, rather uh, fun uh, things coming up, fans. And as far as the rest of this season goes we're going to be here with you through all the wonderful promotions and blue jays prospect them and we're just gonna dive through it all with you and the fact that we're hoping to get a few minor league announcers on the show here we know we can get one pretty much anytime we ask because he loves us for some reason i have no idea why <laughs> but the fact is there is enough coming that we are going to make sure we're here with you every week for the extended future regardless of what is going on in baseball and maybe we're just going to have some fun baseball talks once the playoffs start or at least try to put as much bad juju on the new york yankees as humanly possible <laughs> yeah i think uh i think touching on mlb as a whole during the playoffs is going to be a lot of fun uh obviously our number one love the toronto blue jays being able to talk about them every week is a lot of fun but uh, at the same time there's going to be a lot of good moments throughout the 2019 playoffs, and we'll be here covering it the entire time. And hopefully plenty of rain for Toronto Blue Jays fans to see in Atlanta throughout the playoffs. And I know uh, I didn't get to I'd see it that. while you were home with him over the weekend, but he did dust us yesterday. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I hope the Braves go deep, and I hope Josh Donaldson is an integral part of that. Finish the job 
that the team in 2015 didn't quite get done. Finish it with the Braves and win yourself a World Series. It will be much much warranted. As much as I don't want to hear any, oh, crap. <laughs> so sick of that still from watching <laughs> any highlights from the 1992 World Series. But the, it's another great episode, Brendan. And regardless of the fact that the Atlanta Braves media wants to bring up the idea of having a uh, – how good of an idea it is to have a bringer of rain umbrella day when the Blue Jays did it already, this episode's over. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to slip that one in at the end. <laughs> I love it. Very good way to end the show. (laughs) (laughs) So Blue Jays fans, this is another wonderful week where uh, we did not have a guest on the show. So make sure you hit us up with your picks to clicks for a chance to get a shout out or slash guest spot. However you deem your time and however you want to spend it. If you want to jump on the show and do a, hey, this is why I picked whoever for your pick to click. We will talk it out with you right here on Jaybird Watching. So make sure you submit those on the Twitter account when we are done with the show. And other than that, Brendan, pick, they can get their podcasting pleasures wherever. And let's go, Blue Jays. Let's go, Blue Jays. Let's go, Blue Jays. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.